You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, today we continue our series called Make as we're walking through 2 Corinthians and we're talking about the process from going to A to C and that journey of B uh, that makes us and causes us to be who we are. So uh, I'm excited about today. Uh, it's the messy process of becoming more like Christ is basically what 2 Corinthians is about. And today we're going to talk about uh, relationships and how uh, the relationships that we have in our life make us and shape us into being more like Christ or possibly less like Christ. So um, I want to start off with some questions. What would you do if, I like those, what would you do if questions. What would you do if someone in our church sued another member for slander? Just think about it. What would you do if you discovered a case of incest by one of the leading men of our church? What would you do if you discovered several young people and not so young people were sleeping around? What would you do if there was an extramarital affair going on in our church? What would you do if you found out that some of the elders didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus? What would you do uh, if you found out that members were getting drunk in their small groups? <laughs> So many jokes in that one. If some leaders, there's jokes in all of them, but you guys didn't laugh at the others. You laugh at what is personal. All right, if some leaders, there's a little joke there. Uh, If What would you do if some leaders demanded the church go vegan for God? Vegan for God, baby. Or uh, what if you got a note uh, saying that four of the board members called a secret meeting to replace me? And what if all these things were happening at the exact same time in your church? What would you do? I'd find another church, first of all. (laughs) Well, that's what's happening in the church in Corinth. And Paul is actually trying to follow up on these very issues. In 1 Corinthians, these are the issues that he specifically addresses. And he continues the follow-up on those same issues in Second Corinthians. So, but the problem is they're resisting. They're resisting his correction. They're resisting his leadership. And wherever you have people, you're going to have problems. So here's a church with a lot of problems. This is a church that's the Vegas of its day. What happened to Corinth stayed in Corinth, and it was a wild city. People were becoming to know Christ, and these were wild people trying to figure out how to live for Jesus. So Paul, as a friend, is now talking to them as a friend and a father. And today, he begins to unwrap how his relationship with them affects them and how their relationship with others affects others. So let's dive in and start where we left off last week. And we're going to talk about how Paul was a friend and what to look for in a close relationship. All right? So let's dive in. 2 Corinthians 6.3 is where we left off last time. So verse 3, it says, We put no stumbling block, that's an obstacle, in anyone's path, so that our ministry will not be discredited. He says, I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not, I'm not beating around the bush. I'm being upfront. I'm being honest. And I've been transparent from the beginning. 
sometimes I think we put obstacles in our relationships. We put obstacles in our friendships, in our marriage, and we, they're the barriers. We keep secrets. We, uh, we are, we're not transparent with our friends. We're not transparent with our husband, with our wife, and with those, with our kids. And, and therefore, there's a barrier between us and the people we want to be close to. And Paul is saying, guys, I have been transparent with you. We are close. We should be close. So he goes on to describe what kind of a friend, what kind of a relationship they have. He says, but instead, he says, I haven't kept secrets. He says, but rather as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. He says, I've been transparent. Here's my resume. Here's the type of person I've been with you. He says, uh, I have in, in, in great endurance, that means I've been patient, I've never quit, in troubles, in hardships, in distress, in beatings, that means that literally in the stripes that I took on my back, imprisonments and in riots, that's angry mobs, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger. He says, I have been there for you. I have been faithful. My trials, he says, have shaped me into being a person that has learned how to be faithful. Now, here's what to look for in a friend. Paul's going to give us three things, first of all. And the number one thing, he says, you want to look for someone in a friend who's faithful. You want to look for someone who doesn't give up easily. You want to look for someone that, that, that when times get hard, they don't bail on you. They're, they're not the type of person that, that they're fair-weather friends. Hey, when things are great, you're great, and they're great. But when the trials come, they bail, they check out, they go to another friend. Too much stress, too much trouble. I mean, think about it. Corinthian church was a mess. We just read all the things they were going through, and Paul says, I never gave up on you. And I'm faithful. I've been true to you. I've endured my hardship and your hardship. A friend is there when no one else is. That's the kind of friend you need to look for. That's the kind of relationship you need to look for. The kind of mate you want to look for. Someone who's faithful. Can you say that about your friends? Verse 6, he says, not only that, he says, but I have impurity, understanding, patience, kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. That means with a sword and a shield. He says, I've been uh, offensive with Christ. I mean, I've been on the move with Christ and I've also been able to ward off the attacks of the enemy. He says, I have stood strong. I have had my character. He says, I have lived out my character before you and it has shaped me and taught me integrity. And you want to look for a friend you want to look for someone with integrity. That's what, that's what we want to look for. If you're looking for a relationship, he says, man, number one, look for a faithful friend, someone who's going to be there through the good and the bad, and someone who's got integrity. Someone who is truly who they say they are. He says, man, I've strived to be pure in my love and in my kindness and strive to be sincere and truthful with you. You want someone who's kind. You want someone who's patient. You want someone who's who strives to be pure, who's honest. You know, maybe you've had a friend or two, they're just constantly deceptive, right? 
you just you never know what they're saying is true or right. And, and there's this sense that they're always negative. They're always a you know the the Debbie and Danny Downers. They're just no offense if your name's Debbie or Danny. Um, they're just always the negative. Ah, it's never going to work. Yeah, you know, I don't know. The, this sucks. This stinks. Who wants to be around that person? Paul says, man, I have strived to be a person of integrity, a person of sincerity, a person of love, a person of kindness, a person of patience. A true friend encourages the best in you, not the worst in you. You want to look for the kind of people you want to impart into your life? Look for the people that are going to make you better, not make you worse. Paul says, I have been a person of integrity with you. He goes on to say, he then talks about the paradox of walking with God, the ironies of of our spiritual journey. He says, through glory and dishonor, he does comparisons. He goes, through glory and through dishonor, through bad report and good report, genuine, yet regarded as an imposter, as a fake, as a phony. He says, known, yet regarded as unknown, dying, yet I live on, beaten, yet I am not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, yet possessing everything. In Philippians 3, he says, man, I've lost everything that was of value in this life. I have nothing, but yet I have gained everything. Man, this is completely opposite of the, of the gospel of prosperity. Some try to entice people to Christ through promises of comfort and health and rich life, but it leads to empty, shallow, false conversions. Paul says, you know what? I have gone through everything and I have nothing, but I have everything. This is what you want to look for in a friend, and that is someone who is sold out to Jesus. Paul says, you know what? My journey with God has shaped me and it has taught me what really matters. It echoes what we read last week in 2 Corinthians 4.18 where he says, We fix our eyes on what is seen, but on, uh, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and the unseen is eternal. He says, man, I'm living all for God. Man, if I have nothing, I'm living for God no matter what. If I have no friends, I'm living for God. If I have no money, I'm living for God. If I'm poor, I'm living for God. Because everything that I have is, is for him. And under, guys, listen, this is what Paul's saying. You need friends that are faithful. You need to find friends that have integrity. And you need to have your friends around you, your closest friends, those that are sold out to Jesus. Those that are sold out to God, that have that perspective. Can you say that about your relationships? Paul says, My whole life, since the day I met Jesus, I've been chasing after him. He says, I'm not perfect, but I'm growing and I'm becoming more like Jesus. Some use God as a means to an end. They show up to church to find a girlfriend or boyfriend as an opportunity to date. They play the God game. They play the church. They're they're the church crasher. Well, the gig is up, guys, because your friends see right through your facade. And if you are looking for lifelong relationships, you need to find someone who's sold out for Jesus. Paul then begins to mention our relationship uh, or their their relationship with him, which is the question of you as a friend, our our relationship as a friend to each other. He says this, the very next verse, he says, um, 2 Corinthians 6, 11, he says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Some translations say, oh, dear Christian or Corinthian friends, He says, we've spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. 
He says, you know everything about us. We have been open before you. We're people of integrity. We're people who are faithful. We're people sold out to Jesus. By the way, you will never have a true intimate friend until you're able to be transparent. If you're holding back secrets from your friends, if you're holding back secrets from your spouse, transparency is a wall to intimacy. He says, you know what, our hearts have been opened wide. But he says this, he said, but here's the problem. We're not withholding our affection from you, but you're withholding yours from us. He says, man, we're giving and we're giving and we're giving and we're caring and we're faithful and we've been there. We have not given up, though. Everybody else would have left you dry because you guys are crazy. I mean, honest with you, Corinthian church, they were crazy. He says, when others would have left, we did not, but we don't feel loved by you. Man, I, Paul planted that church. He led many of those people to Christ and baptized them himself. He lived with them for nearly two years, got them grounded and founded in God's word. And then when he went to plant another church, they just fell apart and they wanted nothing to do with him. And a guy came in and said, Paul, he's a deceiver and he's trying to manipulate you. And Paul's like, no, guys, we have been faithful. Where's the love, right? This man, our heart is open to you, but you have done not that you have not done that for us. You are withholding yours from us. And I've got one thing to say to you that Paul is saying to us, if we are to be a good friend, and that is, be the person you would desi- uh, be the person you desire to be with. Be the friend you desire to have. You want honesty in your relationships? Well, be honest. You need a good influence in your life as a friend. Be a good influence. You want a trusted friend? Be trustworthy. You want a friend on fire for God to come and encourage you? Well, be on fire for God. If you are a believer, you need to become a person of of God's word if you want a person of God's word in your life. Paul's saying, you know, I have been this for you. I'm expecting you to be this for me. You need to be the person you want to have in your life. Some of you who are single and you're looking for that special someone, be the kind of person you expect that person to be. You want a friend in your life? You've been stomped on, walked on, and left behind. You're not sure if you can trust friends anymore. Be the kind of friend that you're looking to have. It's what I would consider like the dance of friendship. It's like, you know, or the dance of a, of a good relationship between a husband and wife or a spouse. There's that sense of, uh, there's a leader in that relationship sometimes, but there's a dance. It's like you're, you're walking together, and, but you can feel each other's influence as each other is guiding each other, and together it's a beautiful dance of relationship. You're learning transparency. He goes on to say in verse 13, he says, as a fair exchange, he says, man, I think it's, I think it's fair to ask this of you. He says, He says, I'm speaking to you as my children. He says, hear me. Let me speak into your life as a father. By the way, man, we need more fathers to speak into our life, right? And if you are an adult male, particularly, who loves Jesus, be a father to somebody. We got Father's Day in two weeks. We're going we're gonna to celebrate 
fathers and the good and the bad and the ugly, man, we're going to lift up the, the greatest father of all, our, our heavenly father. And, and if maybe you've had a horrible father and you don't even know how to be a father to somebody. Well, follow the example of Paul. Follow the example of, of, of what God has set for us. He says, guys, I care for you. Let me speak to you as a father. Let me speak into your life. And he says, and open wide your heart also. He says, man, I'm laying my heart bare and all I'm asking is for you to do the same. If you want to build your relationships, he says, if you want us to be close, you've got to show the people you love that you love them. Dad, mom, I'm sure that you do everything you can to love your kids. Show them some more. Kids, if you love your parents, tell them. Tell them more often. You tell them very little, I would assume, just because it's the nature of being a young person. Adult, who's got an adult parent, tell your parents you love them. Tell your friends you love them. Do they, do they know? I mean, have they heard you say, ah, oh, man, just breaks my heart when I hear of young people or adults, uh, young people, people in particular, I'll start there, who, who can say they, that, first of all, nobody's hugged them for weeks, and the only time they get a hug is at youth church, is on Wednesday nights. They get a hug from, a, from, a, from a, an adult that cares for them and loves them, and, and how few of them will say their parents rarely say, I love you, and and, and I know many of adults, particularly guys, that will say they maybe heard their dad say, I love you once or twice in their whole life. Something's terribly broken with that. Dad, you can't say I love you enough. I mean, it's like a broken record at our house. We say it perpetually all day. I mean, my girls can never say, Daddy never says I love you. Sometimes as a joke on the way out the door, I say, if I never see you again, <laughs> remember, I love you. <laughs> we kind of creep it like that. <laughs> and, then, and then sometimes when they go, I'll say, I'll never forget you. It's kind of a, a joke. <laughs> it's kind of funny like that. Anyhow, Paul says, man, I'm speaking as a spiritual father. And I, now he's going to start now to dive into who your friends are. And this is going to get real personal. So I want to ask you to allow Paul to speak into your life as a father and allow me as, as a spiritual father to speak into your life, because this next section is often misused in, in the Bible. And it's, it's also one of the more quoted sections of the Bible. Paul speaking the truth in love. He says, uh, it's time to like, take a look at your, your friendships. So here, here you go. 2 Corinthians 6.14, the very next verse, he says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Yoked together. That means literally stop yoking up. If you're not really sure what that means, it means don't be mismatched. I, I need the largest guy in the room. Is there anybody who would consider me like be a large guy? In uh, Norm's in Kid Venture today, I believe. Norm, are you in here today? I know he was in Kid Venture. Okay, Jeff. Come on. Thank you, Jeff. Jeff is a pretty big guy. Wouldn't you guys agree? We've got a couple of guys who are as tall. As, who's, who, who else is as tall as you? I mean, you guys breathe the same atmosphere. So uh, who? who uh, Kelly, Kelly's pretty tall, too. All right. So now I need the smallest guy in the room. 
Well, Kevin, you, I don't, you might be the scrawniest guy, but I don't know if you're the, you're the, I'm just kidding. I don't know if you're the smallest guy, but that's kind of funny. Who can be, even, even if there's like a, a child or something that's in here. Is Wyatt in here? I don't want to point out Wyatt. He's a small guy. Come on down, Wyatt. I love this guy. All right, if you guys could could stand over here, Wyatt and, and Jeff. All right. Hey, man, how are you? Bruce Wayne, all right. Now, uh, these guys are different sizes. Would you agree? All right, here's what Paul is saying. Here's what a yoke is, by the way. Uh, here's a picture. A yoke is a, is a harness that goes on cow or oxen or horses that is used to pull a cart or in a scriptural reference, it is used to pull a plow. And this yoke will be placed around two equally matched ox. You guys represent ox, all right? Or bull. There's a joke in there, but I'm not going to say it. I'm just going to restraint. Uh, all right. A yoke is basically something that's put on two uh, animals that need to be matched in order to pull a plow, for example. And, and the idea is that if they were mismatched, if one was stronger than the if there was a tug of war, who would win? <laughs> yes, because you're so nice. Uh, in, in reality, if it was a fight for their life, uh, I think Jeff might might win, not because White's not a an incredibly cool Jedi, or uh, a great ninja. It is because Jeff is bigger. He's stronger. And um, he has a little bit more girth and strength and power in him. Uh, and he's he's older uh, and more experienced in, in the muscle mass. And, uh, let's see how I've transitioned into that muscle. Uh, into uh, your your abilities. Now, if there, if these guys represented ox... And there is a yoke put on them. And I was a farmer. And I said, let's go. You know, uh, that's cracking a whip. Uh, pretty good, huh? Uh, yeah, you don't want to be my ox. Um, so uh, there's a joke in there too, I'm sure. Um, so you're, you're plowing the field. And if one is able to go faster than the other, the plow would go zigzag all over the field. And Paul is saying, just as two mismatched yoked ox will destroy the harvest of your field, so will mix uh, mismatched relationships destroy the harvest of your life. We are to sow into our life and to plow ground into our life that is healthy, that God can plant seed in and mature us in. And Paul said, some of you are in relationship in a way that you are mismatched. Some translations say, don't be unequally yoked. This one says, don't be yoked with unbelievers. Because it can ruin your field, it can tear up soil, and it it can affect future uh, fruit. Now, just for a minute, just for the sake of argument, I'm going to have one of you um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just, you guys are done. I was going to have you like do tug of war or something. I don't know. Somebody punch the other. Let's see who's left standing. Get 911 ready and the police. All right. <laughs> Areas we tend to be unequally yoked in. We tend to be unequally yoked in. Thank you, uh, Jeff. Thank you, Wyatt. 
Um, yeah, it takes a lot of work to stand. Errors, we tend to be unequally yoked uh, dating. We, uh, we tend to be unequally yoked in business. Some of you guys, you're in business. You're in, you're, I'm not talking about employed too, but you're in partnership with people who you are mismatched with. Some of you, it's close friendships. It's, this is all about who is pulling who. It's all about who is the greater influence on who. Now, I want to make sure that you get this, and this is the first thing I want you to write down under who are your friends. Is our relationships matter. Our relationships matter and that they shape, they all shape our walk with God. Every relationship you have shapes your walk with God. It makes you who you are for good or for bad. Every relationship, I want you to listen to me. Every relationship shapes who you are. Every relationship, everyone, for good or for bad. Our friendships, our relationships, they can make us or break us. Paul is not suggesting that Christians never associate with unbelievers. He is not suggesting that Christians do not have non-Christian friends. In fact, I've got some uh, some scripture in, in your in your notes that you can look that up and, and, and study even what Paul says about that. Because if we don't have non-Christian friends, how else are we going to be a light in this world? How else are we going to help people who don't know Christ become followers of Christ? How else are we going to be who God's called us to be unless we have friends that don't know Christ? We are to be around them. We are to be with them. We are to have lost friends. Jesus modeled it. The principle is this. We are to be in the world, but not of it. That's what Jesus said. It's like a ship that's in the water, but the water is not to be in the ship or it will sink the ship. We are to be a ship in the water of the world, but the world, the culture, the influences of the world are not to be in us or it will sink us. We are separate, but apart. We are to transform the world, not to be transformed by the world. Our views and our opinions are to be shaped by, uh, not by culture and by changing times, but rather by God's word and conform to God's views. And I, and I, I see this all the time in church is the constant debate among pastors and church people on how culturally relevant should we become in order to let people know God loves them? Interesting question. Because there's a lot of discussion that go on in there, but the, 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 the argument tends to go towards becoming more like the world so that we might be able to reach the world. But in, in an effort to become more like the world, we become, well, like the world. And we miss the aspects of being separate but apart. And, and you can, what, what's going to win someone to Christ is not how cool you are. What's going to win someone to Christ is not how you dress or how you look or your opinions on current topics of the day. Your ability to win someone to Christ is not based upon what you think about homosexuality. It's not based upon what you think about our president. Your ability to win someone to Christ is based upon your love for the world 
and allowing Christ to perfect his love through you. And to stand and be apart but separate. To be in but not of. To transform but not be transformed by. Our love. That's what Paul is saying here. Paul is asking who's influencing you. The rest of that verse says, he says, For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship? That means intimate community. That means if you are knit together with somebody, he says, what knit do you have, does, does light have with darkness? You see, fellowship is a Christianese word, but it's a word that's deeper than friendship. The Bible word for fellowship there is, has different words. It might be koinonia. Sometimes it's, it's where we get the word communion. It basically means this sense of, of very deep spiritual connection. And the word here means that we are knit together. This is not about who you hang around, but it's about who you are knit to. He goes on to say, what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? That's a, that's a word in the New Testament that means Satan, the devil, it means wickedness. He says, is there between Christ and Belial, the wicked? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? He says, what harmony? That means what deep connection, what partnership that works together for the same goal do you have with wickedness? Our hearts are in different places, he says. He goes on to say, what agreement is there between the temple of God, that's us, and idols? You see, they, this was a church in Corinth that had more temples to pagan deities than any other temple, uh, than any other city at the time. The city was packed with pagan temples and not only pagan temples, but very sexual pagan temples where they would go to church and they would have these wild sexual events as part of worship to these pagan gods. And many times they would even offer and sacrifice their children. And, and Paul is saying, guys, listen, what connection do you have? What sense of partnership do you have between the temple of God, you who are holy, and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. He says, what agreement, what strong mutual alignment on the same page moving towards God. And I want you to write this down. This is important. Our closest relationships... You can even underline circle closest. Our closest relationships, if you are a Christian, should be with other believers. Your closest knit, in agreement, in harmony, communion, partner relationships should be with other believers. That's what Paul is saying. He's not saying come out and don't have non-Christian friends and live in this, this like lame Christian bubble where you eat your testaments and you, you know, you have your, everything is the Christian mug and the Christian plumber and, you know, and, and, and the Christian car salesman and you only buy your furniture by the guy who's the Christian, the only one guy at Ashley Furniture who's a Christian, whatever, you know. He's not saying be like, like walk in this like bubble wrap life. He says, no, be a person who's, closest relationships, the most influencing relationships in your life are with other believers. You need someone who will point you to Jesus, your deepest confidants, your most transparent friendships. See, I, I, when, I, when I counsel couples that are about to get married, I'll often sit down and, I, and I'll evaluate their spiritual lives. Uh, several years ago, I, I actually told a couple I would not marry them because 
uh, one girl was uh, loved Jesus, and I don't know how they even got in a relationship, but her husband-to-be her, was an atheist. And he was a nice guy. I, I, I really liked him. He, he needed to know the life-saving power of God's grace in his life. But after a few weeks, I said, I, I cannot do your, your wedding because you're heading in a direction that will ultimately be frustrating for both of you. And I told her, I said, you need someone who you can pray with when you are sick. You need someone who's going to encourage you in God when you are discouraged. You need someone who's going to wrap their arms around you as Christ would when you are depressed. You need someone who's going to help you to become more like Christ, not appease you and think you're some sort of less of a, you know, of intelligent person because you're a Christian, which is kind of where, where they were. So he goes on to say, verse 16, <clears throat> he quotes Ezekiel, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, three verses, but it's all packed together. He says, as God has said in the Old Testament, he says, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. That's out of Ezekiel. He says, therefore, he says, come out from among them, and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. That's from Isaiah. And he says, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That's from Jeremiah. By the way, that's the only place in the entire New Testament outside of the book of Revelation where the word Lord Almighty is used. He's saying, guys, this is coming what I'm saying to you about your relationships and the intimacy of your friendships, he says, this is coming from an all-knowing, all-sovereign, unchanging, uh, one-of-a-kind God who knows what he is doing, God Almighty. He knows what he's doing when he says this. And I want you to write this down. Some of our relationships might need to be stopped. And this is the, this is the reality of, of walking with Christ is sometimes you might have a friendship that you need to put the brakes on. You might need to end a relationship that is not healthy for you. If a relationship is influencing you in a bad way more than you are influencing them in a good way, then you need to end it or at least pull back for a season until you become the one who's influencing, not the one who's being influenced. This is crucial. Paul says, he's quoting, come out from among them. Be apart, but be separate. 1 Corinthians 15.33, he says, he's talking to uh, some guys that had gone into the church and started messing with their minds and leading them away from God. He says, don't be fooled by those guys who say such things. Because we know better, he says, because the Bible tells us, he's quoting Proverbs, for bad company corrupts good character. And here's a challenge. You can write this down. This is, put this on the side. Is don't try to resist temptation. Avoid temptation. See, that's the problem. We show up at that party thinking, man, I'm not going to drink tonight, baby. I'm not getting drunk. And then you go home drunk. You go out with this guy. I know he's not a Christian. I know he wants to, like, get all crazy. Then, but I'm not going... And then you find yourself, oh, Lord, forgive me. What have I done? What a poor mistake going out. Yes, it was. Don't try to resist temptation. Paul says, avoid temptation. Some of you guys, your trouble is not, Lord, give me the strength to resist temptation. It's, Lord, (laughs) you've very spoken clearly on this guy who I shouldn't be dating or this girl I shouldn't be dating or this friend that's bringing me down. And God, instead of uh, trying to resist temptation when I'm with him, Lord, I understand there's some things I need to stop now. And one of them is this friendship or this relationship. Again, Paul's saying, listen to me as I speak to you as a father who cares for you. He's speaking as a father. This does sound like something a 
dad would say, wouldn't it? You need to change your friends. Don't go over there. Don't go out after work. Skip happy hour, whatever. Don't go over to their house. Avoid the temptation rather than resist. So if you're single, here's some relationship guidelines. Two for singles, two for married. Each of you get to beware, all right? First of all, beware, single. Don't date who you can't mate, period. If you don't see this person as the type of person who would be your husband or wife one day, you need to end that relationship. Paul says, don't be mismatched. Don't be unequally yoked. Don't be harnessed to someone that you want to plow your life with in, in, with someone who is not going in the same direction as you with God. Very simple. Very simple. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Some of you guys need to guard your heart. Don't just give it out to any guy or any girl. There's, there's no such thing as just a little fling. They will all have potential to make or shape or break you. Here's the second thing for single. If you're dating an unbeliever, you're headed for spiritual trouble. Write it down right now. Ted said that if I don't do something about this relationship, I'm dating an unbeliever. Ted said, I don't believe it, but I'm going to write it down because he said it, but I'm going to prove him wrong. No, I guarantee you are headed for spiritual trouble. 2 Corinthians 6.14, he says, do not be unequally matched or connected with unbelievers. And here's the question. Some of you need to ask yourself if you're a single person, have you truly surrendered and given your relationships to God? Have you honestly, honestly looked at this person and said, God, is this the person you have for me? Or is this what my flesh wants? Is this what my heart wants? By the way, don't trust your heart. Your heart will lead you astray. A heart is what leads many men into an adulterous affair. It is, it is a heart that leads many women away from the heart of their husband. It is the heart that leads many children away from home. Your heart, the Bible says, is deceptive and wicked. Don't follow your heart. Follow the will of God. And it's time to surrender that relationship to the will of God. Word. All right. If you're married, <laughs> some of you guys who, are, who, uh, who have kids, you're like, oh, man, got that. This is for you. So kids, now you get to say this to your parents. If you're married, I've got some extra verses there. You can go home and read them. First of all, we're talking about not being connected to people who are not believers. Beware. Most affairs are with friends, not strangers. That person at work that you're talking to, that person, that old friend on Facebook, that that private message or that text, most affairs are with friends, not strangers. And some of you need to immediately begin to examine your relationships in light of God's scripture. There's a, hey guys, go home and read Proverbs, uh, I thought it was 25, but I've got five here. <clears throat> One of those verses in, in verse 15 says, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. He's talking about your wife. He's talking about intimacy. The whole verse is about, I mean, the whole chapter is about men. It's time to pull water from your well at home. And here's something for both of you, husbands and wives, is that you need to give your spouse absolute veto power over your relationships. I, you know what? It doesn't, doesn't matter how long that person's been a friend. Your spouse 
if they're living for Jesus and they want you to be the best person you can be in Christ and they're encouraging you and you are equally yoked, then they can see things that maybe you're missing and they'll say, you know what, you need to pull out of that friendship. I don't like that, that direction you're going with that person at work, that girl or that guy. This, I don't like where you're going with that friend when you guys go out and just blow off steam. Give your spouse 100% veto power on all your relationships. That'd be a good time for many of your spouses to go, amen. Here's the second. This is a, this is a, uh, a challenge for uh, married couples. If you're married to an unbeliever, stay married and pray for them. Because a lot of people were concerned. Paul had to deal with this. There were people in Corinth that were giving their life to Christ, attempting to live for Jesus, but they were from a very sexualized pagan culture, and their spouses were not believers. And they, they, they wanted to know, Paul, you say, don't be unequally yoked. What do I do here? Well, he addresses that in 1 Corinthians, and he says very clearly, if you have a spouse, a husband or wife, that is not a Christian and you are a Christian, stay with them as long as they will have you. (laughs) That means stay there, love on them, be a good husband, be a good wife, pray for them. He even goes on to say that your presence sanctifies your house. Your presence brings the Holy Spirit to a place where it might be void of God's presence. If you are a Christian and your husband or your wife is not, when you walk into that house, you are bringing the very presence of God into that house. And the Bible says your presence matters to your children. It matters to your spouse. Stay with them, pray for them, and live godly lives before them. So he wraps up with these last couple of verses. He continues to talk about the whole friendship thing in 2 Corinthians 7, 1. He says, therefore, since we have these promises that we're God's temple, that God's made us this 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 beacon of light in a lost world. He says, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. He says, guys, in light of these things, let's get things right with God, basically. Let's make things right with God. Let's clean the house of our heart. Let's get things right inside with Jesus. And then he says this. He says, and make room in your hearts. He's talking about for us. So he says, let's make things right with God. And I love this. He says, let's make things right between us. Let's get things right with each other. Let's start over. And then he explains. He says, we have wronged no one. We haven't hurt you. We haven't done anything wrong to you. We have corrupted no one. He's talking about them. We haven't corrupted you. We haven't deceived you. We haven't lied to you. We have exploited no one among you. He says, I do not say this to condemn you, to make you feel bad, He says, as I've said before, that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. He says, man, we love you so much. We would die for you. And man, we love being with you. We love living around and with and and in your community. And we would die for you, man. If we had it our way, we'd live our whole life with you. He says, I'm not trying to speak to you about our relationship to bring you down. He says, I have spoken to you with great frankness, because friends tell the truth. He says, I take great pride in you. He says, I'm proud of you. I think good things about you. He says, I'm greatly encouraged in all our troubles. He's talking about them as a friends. 
and my joy knows no bounds. He says, you know what? In spite of all of the troubles we've been through, I'm still proud of you as my friend. Mm. In spite of all that's going on between us, the troubles we've faced, you still bring joy to my heart. He says, open up your heart to us. Let's make things right. Here's the last thing I want you to write down, and we're going to pray, is that some relationships might need to be sparked. While some need to be stopped, some need to be revived. You know, as you get older, you, we all have those friends that we just kind of grow out of touch with, right? We grow out of connection with. Friends that we just don't talk to as much. Friends that, I wonder what they're doing. Friends that are meaningful to you. The Lord might be speaking to you today. It's time to call them. It's time to message them. It's time to reach out to them. It's time to connect with them. I can think of several in my mind. Just this last week, I I sent messages to several friends. Uh, I asked four old friends to lunch this week. And uh, two of them responded. And um, uh, one of them put me on hold, like, I'll get back with you. And the other one never said anything. So, But uh, I'm putting this into practice, too. I'm reaching out to these relationships because I believe there are relationships that need to be sparked. Now, maybe your position in Christ has grown and you're mature now and you're not struggling with the issues that you used to struggle with. Some of you, listen to me, some of you, it's time to call that old friend that used to bring you down because they're not going to bring you down anymore and you might be able to help them up. So for some of you, it's time to spark up that relationship. It's time to call them. You are now the influencer. So, Two simple challenges today. Do you need to make things with uh, make things right with God? And do you need to make things right with some relationships? Ending them or starting them? Who are you yoked to? Let's pray. God, thank you so much <clears throat> that you are a friend to us. Lord, that the Bible says that you are a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And God, I thank you, Lord, that you have... Uh, uh, relationships, it's not good for man to be alone. God, you never designed us to be an island. God, you never crafted us to be by ourselves. Lord, uh, when you created man, that's the one thing you said that was not good, is it is not good that he was alone. So you made him someone to complement his life and to be there for him. And Lord, no one in this room is designed or crafted or meant to be alone. And God, help us to first of all find you as the friend and the father of a broken and lonely heart. And Lord, help us to be the friend that, God, we desire to have. That we would be the friend that we want. And Lord, I pray that you give us guidance on our relationships. If there are dating people here today, Lord, I pray that you give them clarity, Lord, and let them know that every relationship they have is going to make or break them, and it will influence them in one way or another with you. And Lord, if there's people here that need to cut off a relationship, break off with a boyfriend or girlfriend, God, give them the courage to do that. Lord, if there is a married couple uh, here and, and one is not a Christian or maybe there is a, 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 a spouse here alone and their husband does not or their wife does not come to church, Lord, give them the courage and the strength to stand strong and to pray for them and to be a godly example in their home and that they would with kindness and gentleness and patience be faithful, a person of integrity and a person who's sold out to God. Lord, help us to be those friends to those around us, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.